following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Our exclusive club. And we have names for our theologies, you know, so we know what club we belong to. You've got the Reform Club, the Pentecostal Club, the Baptist Club, the House Church Club, the Women Who Sew Their Own Clothes and Wear Head Coverings Club, all kinds of clubs, right? <laughs> and uh, sometimes it gets a bit more sophisticated than this, and we have to actually, to really get the right group, you've got to kind of string together several clubs. So you may have the cessationists, no one should speak in, tongue, in tongues. As we, as we look at the book of Romans, we think through this. Uh, Paul has been urging that the gospel should transform our life and the gospel should make us one. There should be unity as a result of the gospel. But at the same time as Paul has unfolded what the gospel is in the book of Romans, he has not narrowed the, uh, the code, the laws, the morals. He's actually opened it up. And he said, you know, there is really... The law is done. The law has no more function or purpose for us. We now have a newfound liberty in Christ. Well, I believe that liberty is true, and I think the gospel produces that. Um, but the, the difficulty is that in the New Testament, there's not a clearly detailed, specific plan of how we're to worship and practice and carry out our faith. Now, in the Old Testament, it was very detailed and specific and clear. You worship on these days. You bring this gift at this exact time. But in the New Testament, all that's off. And so we're given a new sense of liberty and freedom in our worship. But as we practice that, it looks anything but unified. Because there's so many different styles, so many different ways to do this. And uh, part of our human nature is to evaluate each other, look at it and say, well, my way surely is better than their way. My way is more biblical, right? And the same thing was going on in, in Rome and in uh, Paul's time. And so he writes in chapter 14 and 15 to address some of these issues. How do we deal with our differences in practice? Now, some of the areas are, are quite neutral, uh, are things like, you know, do we sing hymns or do we sing contemporary choruses? Nobody would call either of those a sin issue, right? Nobody would have charged you, you well, actually some might... Charge. If you sing choruses with drums, maybe, you know, that's satanic or something. But um, you know, some of that we kind of recognize as just a style thing. But sometimes it's not that simple. Uh, for some people, uh, you know, we joke about drinking alcohol, but for some people, drinking alcohol would be considered sinful. And for them, it would be wrong. And so when they see other people who have that liberty, they would say, well, you're sinning. How can you do that, right? Um, Ordaining women preachers. Uh, many people would say, that's, that's crossing a boundary. That would be sinful. Right? You're, you're not allowed to do that. Um, ordaining gay women preachers, even more so. Right? <clears throat> um, view, views on creation. You know, there's some people uh, who say, you know, if you don't believe in a younger theory of creation, you're, very, you're denying the very inspiration of Scripture, and you're, you're, you're doing something that's wrong. Right? So sometimes it's not that simple. And as we wrestle with these issues and as we come in contact with people from other tribes, other uh, clubs that think differently than us, the temptation is to, especially if it's an area where we think they've crossed the line, that we need to condemn and judge them. We need to take a stand against them, right? 
um, because we can't let things get out of control. Well, Paul guides us on how we do respond to these differences and how, as gospel-centered Christians who have been changed and transformed by Christ, how we're to approach and look at people who come up with very different theological uh, ideas and practices as a result of those doctrines. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, As we talk about the strong and the weak. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is, for the, it is, for his, it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Um, Paul talks here about the strong and the weak. And uh, his first principle, first thing, he says, we should welcome the weak. And so we want to find out a little bit about who are the strong and the weak. Uh, who are these groups that he's talking about? And a lot of theories about the context going on in Rome. Nobody really knows for sure, so I'm not even going to go into it. But what we, we do know is this. Uh, there were a group that Paul identified as strong and, as, and those that he identified as weak, and specifically weak in their faith. Now, of course, when I read this, I say, well... The strong would be everybody who agrees with me, and the weak would be those who don't, right? That's how I think it works. Um, I'm biblical, they're not. Uh, and actually, when you, when you look at the context here, Paul would agree with that. Paul here identifies himself with the strong, right? And probably what Paul has in mind, whatever the specific issues they were debating, uh, Paul identifies the strong as those who had a clear, firm grasp of the full implications of the gospel. Because the issues that he identifies, uh, eating certain kinds of food, uh, honoring certain kinds of days, and drinking alcohol, uh, were issues that for the weak identified in them a, a, a lack of full understanding of the implications of the gospel. They were still trying to work out their righteousness through their own keeping of the traditions and the laws, rather than experiencing the freedom that Paul was trying to teach 
that should be accessible and available through the gospel. So even though uh, we can say it somewhat jokingly, Paul did identify himself with the strong. And, uh, and in this context, Paul would say that, yes, the strong are correct, the strong are right, because they have a better understanding of Scripture and of what the gospel should produce in our life than the weak do. The weak are still constrained by a need uh, to follow old traditions and customs that, that, that the work of Christ on the cross should have done away with like perhaps keeping a Sabbath or keeping extra Sabbaths like feast or new moons, festival days. They're adding to something that really God has set us free from. So in that sense, they are weaker. Uh, and the stronger are those who have found this newfound liberty. Of course, uh, the strong in this context are not behaving well as those who know better. And that's what Paul addresses. Um, uh, so... Um, we need to also clarify, though, that, that while both of these groups have issues, the, the, the weak had the issue in that they were judging others as being sinful. Because remember, they, they saw these things as still violating the law. So for the weak, their main issue was that they were very judging and condemning. And they would look at the other group and they would say, well, you are clearly sinning because you are practicing something the Bible says we shouldn't do. The, the error on the side of the strong ones was that they were probably right and that they didn't need to follow those rules and laws. But they, Paul says that they were despising or looking down on their weaker brothers. In other words, they had a superior arrogant attitude about the whole deal. They were going, well, we're right and we know it. And if you were as spiritual as us, you would be like us. Right? And so they were um, despising, looking down on I know I don't know how it worked in Rome in their day, but I know in my day, the way this worked with me is I would, I would make jokes about people who I saw as weaker, right? I would laugh at their traditions and, their, and make jokes about their errors, right? And it's a very arrogant, superior, you know, if they were just as smart as me and spiritual as me, they wouldn't be doing such stupid things. Well, that was what was going on, right? Uh, now, as a disclaimer, before we go much further, we really need to talk about a difference between what Paul's describing here as the weaker brother and the stronger brother is not the same as the right brother and the wrong brother, okay? Because Paul would identify there are instances where somebody is clearly in the right and somebody is clearly in the wrong, and there is a place and a need for rebuke and uh, criticism and judgment, um, what Paul says here doesn't apply universally across the board to everybody who thinks and believes differently from us. Um, there are times when we have to be evaluating different groups. And basically, I think from Scripture, Paul would, would caution us that there's three groups of people where the things he talks about here would not apply. First of all, uh, any groups who proclaim a different gospel. And really, the whole book of Galatians was written, Paul... Uh, judging and condemning and criticizing a group of people who were preaching a different gospel. Okay, the, the people he's talking about here, the weaker brothers, are all Christians. They're all believers. They're all people who, though weak in their faith, their faith is not inadequate or misplaced. They're people who understand that their redemption comes through Christ alone. So they were not practicing that I had to trust in Christ and abstain from food in order to be saved. Right? They weren't contaminating or polluting the gospel. Uh, there is a time and a place where we must defend the core doctrines of the faith. 
meaning the fundamentals of the gospel. And, and so in those things, we can distinguish and we can judge. And if somebody stands up and says, well, you know, you don't get to save, you know, you get to heaven by, by trusting Jesus. You get to heaven by being a good person. Okay, hold the bus. You know, that, that's a place where we would say, no, you're wrong, okay? This is not a matter of weaker or stronger. This is a, a matter of being wrong, okay? And you're wrong, and you can say that, okay? Hopefully in love and with grace and not an arrogant attitude. But there's a place to defend core doctrines of the faith, right? Second area, uh, he's not talking about here about somebody practicing immorality or what's clearly identified in Scripture as sin. Now, of course, for the weaker and the brother, the weaker thought the, the weaker and stronger. The weaker thought the stronger were sinning. But they were areas that are gray, right? They're areas that are a little not, not black and white, right? Okay, he's not saying here the weaker brother says, well, you know, or the stronger brother says, well, you know, we have liberty. I can have five wives, right? Paul says, no, no. There are still moral boundaries, and so this does not apply to a person, and we see in 1 Corinthians 5 and other places where Paul specifically judges and condemns and rebukes people who are sinning, okay, who are involved in immoral, ungodly lifestyle and behavior. We're not talking about that. We're talking about areas where people may consider what you're doing as wrong, but not necessarily blatantly immoral. Right. Um, <clears throat> thirdly, and, and I should say that part of this on each camp in this context, each side felt they had a strong biblical basis for what they were doing. Right? So even though they could accuse the other side of error, each side on their own felt they had a strong biblical basis. Right? Somebody who's uh, involved in an extramarital affair, who's involved in homosexual behavior, I think they have a hard time coming with a strong biblical basis. I've heard them. I don't think they're very valid, right? Biblical basis. Okay, so we're not talking about that. Uh, and there is a place in the church to exercise discipline over those who are breaking clear boundaries of right and wrong. Uh, thirdly, uh, Paul is not talking here about people who are trying to uh, create their own self-styled religion to accommodate a selfish and self-centered lifestyle. There are people who say, you know, we're free. I don't have to. I don't have to go to church. Well, it's true. You don't have to go to church. God's not going to. There's no chart in heaven at the door saying, you know, did you get enough stars on the Sunday school chart? Okay. Uh, but but there are people who would say that's not important. My my church is, you know, the great outdoors, right? And I can I can go and I can do whatever I want. Okay. That's not that's not what Paul's talking about. Here. A person who's really trying to live out a very self-styled, selfish lifestyle that's not submitted to God's word and God's plan. He's talking again here about people who have deep convictions and who have a strong sense that they are walking in obedience to God's commands, not just creating their own, as an excuse to create their own uh, style, their own worship that fits their own selfishness. There are some practices we do need to rebuke and because they are rooted in selfishness and man-centeredness and not... Christ-centeredness, right? Uh, but given those restrictions, there's a lot of differences that we have with people, right, on many camps, many sides of the fence. And uh, the great thing about our church here, because, uh, you know, there's not a lot of options in Chiang Mai, so we all have to kind of get stuck worshiping together. We probably represent a lot of different clubs and camps, right? 
So how do we treat each other? How do we deal with our differences? Well, Paul says, first of all, he says, welcome the weak. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not in order to quarrel over opinions. Uh, The word welcome there, uh, it it can be used, sometimes it's translated receive. Uh, It's a word that that could be translated as uh, to take as one's companion, uh, to take or receive into one's home with the idea of giving kindness, um, to receive or grant access to one's heart, to take into friendship. Right? So he's not talking here just like, like welcome as in, you know, kind of like tolerate each other, you know, smile politely. He's talking about fostering and developing true relationship across these bridges and these boundaries. It's likely that in Rome... The, the church that he's writing to was the church citywide across the city of Rome and probably represented many house churches or churches in Rome. And chances are these people were not worshiping together, right? The vegetarians and the meat eaters were probably not meeting together on Sundays for worship. They probably had formed very distinct denominations or groups or clubs, right? And they had the, you know, the first church of vegetarians, right? The first church of we eat real meat, right? And so on. And they, they knew already this was happening. They were sorting themselves out, right? And they stayed to their group. And Paul is saying, no, you should be extending true fellowship and community and building bridges between your groups. Okay, you're not free or entitled to stay hiding out in your little corner with your little group. Now, I don't think Paul expected that they would magically all come together and worship as one, and that may not be necessary. Certainly in our day and age, There's many styles and ways to worship. And God's not saying we failed unless we all do it exactly the same. In fact, that's kind of the opposite of what he's teaching here. But he is saying this. We need to be building true community and fellowship and relationship with people from many different groups. We don't have the right to be exclusively within our private little club. He says we can't do that. We need to welcome them. Uh, And not for the purpose of quarreling or debating. All right? I remember when I was pastoring in, in uh, rural Colorado, uh, a lady came and visited our church, and she was just super excited about our church, and uh, she came from a different club, different church, very different, and she really liked our church and liked the liberty. You know, she identified us as the strong, right? But she saw that her husband, who was still going to the old church, was the weak, right? So one day, unbeknownst to me, she invited me over for fellowship, invited us over. We had dinner at their house. Well, little did I know, I was being set up for a debate, right? And the wife wanted me to convince her husband how weak he was and how wrong he was. And so this, I, you know, dinner's over, and all of a sudden, phew, the questions come out and just start getting fired, these huge doctrinal debates and differences. I was going, I, I did not want to go, go there, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't build fellowship and community in order to correct those idiots who are wrong. Now, of course, let's not say there's not a place for mentoring and discipleship. If you're mentoring someone and discipling someone, you have every, you know, you're encouraged to be teaching them the truth as you understand it. Right? But it's not our mission, Paul says, it's not our mission to go around correcting everybody else's bad theology right, from all the other groups, right? which is really tragic because I would love to do that. You know? I feel called as the apostle to the you know, confused church. Well, Paul says no. He says no. Right, where you have influence, where you are teaching the word, you mentor as God leads you. But you, it's not our it's not our mission 
to go fix all these other things that we think are confused and unbiblical. Basically, Paul says, mind your own business. Right? He says it nicer than that, but he says this way. He says, one person believes he can eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats... Uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Right? He says, mind your own business. Right? He says, if they, if they do it differently, uh, don't judge them as, as that their behavior is sinful. Right? And again, that's not in an area of moral, clear moral boundary. But they, when it's a gray area, right, with a person who's diligently seeking to follow and obey God. Okay, and in their conscience and in their mind, they are doing what they believe the Scripture says. He says, you have no place to condemn them or to judge them as, as being sinful. It's not your problem. Likewise, if you're the weaker brother and you have all this liberty, don't despise, don't make fun of, don't look down on and scorn those who aren't as mature as you, who are not as far along as you. And if we all think about it, you know, we all were the weaker, right? Most of us, when we first came to Christ, came with a lot of that baggage and probably followed traditions that kept us locked and bound. Some of us may still be there and just not know it yet, right? And in a few years, we'll have a revelation. We'll go, oh, wow, I, you know, I misunderstood, right? So we need to have grace in that. Uh, and here's a good test, okay? Here's a good test of where you are. If you're a person who's constantly condemning others for their wrongs, right? You look around and you see this church, you see that group, you see that club, and you go, oh, that, that club, they, they've got problems because they, they do that. They're doing wrong, right? They're doing that. They do wrong, okay? That means, guess what that means? You're a weaker brother, right? You're a weaker brother. You need to grow in your understanding of grace, if you have that kind of judgmental, critical, condemning spirit. Other side of the coin, if you feel superior to those around you and are convinced you're right, and you've got this great liberty and you wish they could all be as mature as you, well, you're the stronger brother. Good, but be careful. Be careful that you don't become proud and arrogant in that. And in fact, here he says it's the job and duty. He says, those of you who are stronger are the ones who have the responsibility to be reaching out and building bridges with the weaker. Okay, Not to criticize and condemn them, but if you are the stronger and you have that grace, you understand the gospel, it's your job to be reaching out across the fence and building bridges to those who are weaker. Because guess what? They're not going to build bridges to you because you're a sinner. You're probably going to hell, right? So... They're not going to, other than they're going to try to evangelize you, right, which I've had that happen. Uh, right, you've got to build bridges to show grace and kindness, to model to them what the gospel really is about, to gently and graciously come alongside them and love them and welcome them into fellowship and community. Um, and why do, we, why, why do we do this? What's the basis of this? Well, I love this. Paul says uh, that that we do this because God welcomes us. He says, you need to be welcoming these weaker brothers. You need to welcome, be welcoming and receiving each other because God has welcomed him. Okay, this ought to rock our theology a bit. Okay? This person that you're convinced is in the wrong camp and is confused and, and clueless and everything, how does God deal with that person? 
Well, God welcomes him just like he welcomes you. Right? Right? We uh, come to God by his grace. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He gives this great analogy. He says, um, basically, we are all slaves. We're all household slaves. Who's the slave master? Who owns us? Well, God does. God is the Lord of the house. Right? So who are you as a slave to criticize and to uh, judge somebody else's slave? Right? That's the picture he's giving here. We have no place for it. Right? That's, that's a matter between the Lord, the master of the house, and his slave. He'll take care of it, not our job. Right? Again, uh, mind your own business. Um, and, and, and not only that, not only is he the Lord of the house, not only is he the, the one who oversees his slaves, and each of those who God receives by grace, uh, he receives his children, he receives his slaves. But get this, he says, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. In other words, um, as, as that weaker brother stands before the Lord of the house, uh, it's on. It's in his own. It's in his own standing that he will fail or succeed, stand or fall. Right. But then note what he says after that. He says, "And he will be upheld. He will be made to stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand." You, get, you see what he's saying there? How is it that the weaker slave stands before his master? The weaker slave is confused, and Paul would agree with that. Okay, he's not fully understanding grace. His faith is weak. Not. Completely inadequate, but it's weak, right? So how can he stand before his slave owner, before his master? He says, the Lord will make him stand. How does he stand before him? He stands before him by grace, right? That's the gospel. We We don't have merit. We don't have right standing with God because our theology is perfect. Praise God for that, right? Imagine if you get to heaven and you had to take a test, right? And you get, you know, you, know, you only get 95%. Ah, you're out. You know, if your theology is not perfect, you can't get in. Right? And yet, that's how we treat each other, don't we? A lot of times we assume, well, if their theology is not perfect, if they're off on these areas, then how could they be a Christian? Now, granted, there is a core set of fundamental truths that you got to understand. You cannot change the gospel. Right? But we got to... Be careful that we don't mix all of theology with the core doctrines of the gospel. There's a lot of things that just are really far removed from the cross, the resurrection, Jesus as Lord, and his atoning sacrificial death for our sin. That's the core doctrines. Um, It is by grace that he stands. By the way, how do you stand? Same way. It is by grace alone. It's not because I've got perfect theology. It's not because I'm strong and they're weak. We all stand in weakness before God by grace. Right? He makes us stand. So how do we so 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 how do we respond to this? Okay, um, so that kind of sets the basis. We're not we're, we're to welcome. We're to build relationship and community and fellowship with everybody who basically names the name of Christ. Right. So the thing is, if they adhere to the true gospel, uh, and sometimes that can be a tricky question, you know. And I know maybe you have uh, been 
in discussions about the whole Catholic debate, does, do Catholics hold to the true gospel? Well, that is a question. Okay, That is a question that needs to be worked out. Are they adhering to the true gospel or are they preaching and teaching a different gospel? Okay, That's a question we've got to sort out. But for those with whom we would say, yeah, they hold to the gospel. They hold to the one truth of salvation through faith in Christ alone. For those people, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. God welcomes them. We should be building relationship with them. Well, that still kind of leaves some questions, okay? Because what if they tell me I'm sinning? What if I think they're sinning, right, in one of these areas? What if I think they're confused? How do we deal with and negotiate these differences? Well, Paul continues on. And basically he says we need to live with conviction. Notice what he says in verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Uh, we don't know the context, if he's talking about Sabbath, if he's talking about uh, Greek holidays that were sell- held as auspicious. We don't know. But, uh, but one group thought they should follow these days, another group thought they shouldn't. Right? Uh, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Right? Here's the thing. We need to live with conviction. We need to be fully convinced uh, that what we are doing, we are doing because Scripture has told us to. Uh, we need to be uh, thinking through these issues and come up with deep convictions based on Scripture. Right? And I like it. He says here we need to be convinced in our own, in our own mind, right? not in somebody else's mind. Right? So this is how it works. When I, like I said, when I was in Bible college, I had to go to the, subscribe to the right club and the right camp and had to follow the, you know, the rules. And um, one, of the, one of the rules in that camp was that, that uh, you know, people who spoke in tongues were clearly you know, wrong. They were wrong, right? So I graduated, and I, I didn't actually, I thought, well, you know, all my professors, they're smart people, right? And they're older than me, and, and I respect them. And so I'm just going to take their word for it. And I'm going to make this my own personal conviction. Right? So I graduated from college, fired up to just you know go on a crusade against all those people speaking in tongues, those crazy people, right? And um, like I said, I, I, uh, I had this prejudice against them, right? that they were somehow wrong, that they were being unbiblical because the Bible obviously taught that tongues had ceased. Right? Now, how did I know the Bible taught that? Well, because my professors in seminary or in Bible college told me that, right? Well, like I said, I met some of these charismatics. I met some of these people who spoke in tongues. And uh, I was quite challenged and convicted by their spirituality and their true love and commitment to Christ. And I thought, hmm, how can they have so much love for God and be sinning all the time, right? It's a problem, right? So I thought, well, gee, you know, maybe I should actually study for myself what the Bible says about this. So I took a long time and I, I studied all through the scripture, everything that it says about the sign gifts and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I came away going, well, you know, the Bible doesn't actually say anywhere that tongues have ceased, right? Whoa, who knew, right? And it was revolutionary. And I now had a new conviction. Now, I didn't go off and speak in tongues, right? Uh, but I had a new conviction that, you know, there's, there's room in scripture for that, Right? Uh, and, and so I now am, am a non-cessationist, my new club, right? And I, I welcome and fellowship, and I believe that God can do that. 
And God does that in your life. I think you're not being unbiblical, right? So, but, but the, my point is, I came to that because I thought it through on my own. I studied Scripture for myself, and I came to a conviction based on my own study of the Word. Not just taking what somebody else said as truth. Paul says we need to do that. We need to personally go to Scripture and develop our own convictions before God as we study the Word and let His Word teach us. Um, He says, each of you needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. So instead of worrying so much about what other people do and don't do and how they do it, right? what we need to be doing is be paying a lot more attention to our own biblical convictions about things. Uh, We need to take care that what we do and what we practice and how we live comes from our own clear, hard-fought understanding of the Word. So when we come across these things and we see things that we don't don't necessarily agree with and it bothers us, well, we should go to Scripture. We should sort through it. We should constantly be pouring through Scripture. And the truth is, as we grow, as we become stronger, our theology should be changing. If your theology has not changed in the last 20 years, okay, you got problems, right? Because you're not growing into... Because God's Word is infinitely deep. You're not growing deeper into the truth. So we should be constantly being convinced. Um, He goes on, he says, so we need to be convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, um, because he gives thanks to God. So here's the deal. We we should be developing clear convictions for ourselves. And then we taking care of our own, minding our own business, taking care of our own convictions, need to live those out to give honor and thanks to God. Um, And and here's here's the the important thing to keep in mind. When we're dealing with these things and we come against groups that think differently, most of them have got there because they have deep convictions and they are practicing those things, right or wrong, whether they really get it all perfectly or not. The truth is, their heart in those things is to honor God. And if you talk to them, they would say, we believe that we are walking in obedience to what we understand Scripture to say. Right? And if a person is doing that, God is honored in that. Right? So, so we need to, uh, for our part, make sure that we are living out our convictions to worship and honor God, to give Him thanks and praise. So whatever you do, do it because you have clear sense that comes from Scripture, and give thanks in it. Do it to the glory and honor of God. Um, not, not, you know, to prove others wrong, right? We don't, we don't come to doctrinal perfection to use it as a machine gun against all those who disagree with us, right? That's not the point of it. The point is to live out a life in honor to God. We don't do it to feel that we are superior and smarter than those who are not as brilliant as us or to impress people, right? In fact, when he says that we should do it to honor God and give thanks, it means that the full focus of our attention should be to please God alone. Paul's saying here, look, if you're even thinking about how other people do it, if you're comparing how you, your, your spiritual practice with the practice of others, you're missing the point because you're not doing it to please God. You're doing it uh, to please people to make an impression, to make a stand against people. You're missing the whole point. 
The focus of it all should be God alone, to honor Him. I think Paul's saying, look, if you would spend a lot more time focused on living your life to honor God and give Him thanks, you won't have time to be looking around worrying about what other people are doing. Right? Uh, you don't have the energy or the time for that right? if you're living fully focused on God. And the reason for that, the reason we honor Him, is because He is Lord of all. He says, none of us lives to Himself, none of us dies to Himself. For if we live or if we, we die, we die to the Lord. Uh, we live, we live to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead and the living. Um, if he's truly Lord of all, he's the only opinion that should matter to us. He is the only one we should be concerned about. Uh, he should be the total focus of our, of our life, right? Say, God, what do you want me to do? What does your scripture teach? How can I walk in more clear obedience to you? That should be the focus, right? Um, because he is Lord of all. Um, finally, he closes with these words. In verse 10, he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? Okay, so to the weak person, he says, to you weak people who are worried about how sinful all your brothers are, why do you judge them? To the weak person, or to the strong brother, he says, why are you despising? Why are you looking down on your weaker brothers? Right? Why are you doing that? And then he says this, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Will Christians stand before the judgment seat of God? Apparently we will. That's what Paul says right here, right? We will be judged, right? Uh, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. The word confess there can mean confess or praise. Uh, the idea is, we will all come before the judgment seat of God. And when we come for that place, believe or not believe everybody, they will bow. Right? You will be in such awe and wonder at, as we stand before the mighty judge of all creation. Like that song, Revelation song. You know, we, great picture of, of how it will be. Right? And there will be a time when we will praise. But that will not be our first response. Right? Uh, our first response will be to fall flat on our face before this holy God who judges us. Who will examine every detail of our life who knows everything, not only the outward actions that people see, but knows the hidden thoughts and motives and intentions of the heart. Right? I don't exactly look forward to that day. Right? Being pierced through by the eyes of the judge who sees and knows everything. And I just hope that when he pierces through my life that it doesn't display on some kind of screen behind me. Right? <laughs> That's my fear. <laughs> that just shows everybody. He knows and he will know. Right? We will bow before him and we will confess he is Lord. He has the rightful place to judge. Right? What's Paul's point here? Well, he says, he says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will all stand before God who will judge us, who is Lord of the house, who is master. We are his servants and slaves and we will give an answer. How will we fare on that judgment day? Well, first question will be, 
Are you covered with the righteousness of Christ? Have you put your trust and faith in His saving work for us? Okay, if you've done that, you pass a big test, right? Because from that point on, God is not going to judge any sin in your life. It's covered. It's gone, right? So all those things that we have done in rebellion and sin against Him, gone, invisible, unseen, right? So now we can get up off the floor a few inches, breathe a sigh of relief, right? We've been washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. But then comes the next question. Okay, you've trusted me. You're my child. You've been given the righteousness of Christ. Next question. What did you do with your life? Right? What did you do with your life? How did you use your gifts and abilities and talents to bring glory and honor to my name? Right? And, and you stand before there. Well, God, I want you to know that you know, that other group over there, I worked really hard to fix them. Right? I spent my whole life trying to straighten out those p- people that were so confused and sinning. Okay. I don't think that's what you want to say. Just a, just a note, okay? I don't think that's going to go very far. Because God doesn't really care. They will be judged. God's going to say, no, 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 no. I don't care about that. I want to know what did you do with your life? Okay. How did your life bring glory to my name? And how you lived? God will say, here's my question. What did you do to build relationship and fellowship within the whole body of Christ, like I told you to? Uh, (laughs) Well, I didn't like them. They weren't in my club, right? Not a good answer, right? God will judge how we treat each other, right? He wants to know what we are doing to honor Him by building unity and fellowship and community within the whole body of Christ. What have we done to build those bridges? What have we done to reach out to those who are just weird to us? What have we done to build unity, to display the oneness of the Trinity within the body of Christ? How have we loved our brother who was weaker? Those are the kinds of things uh, he will judge. And so, you know, we need to be ready for that judgment. And and that's Paul's emphasis here. We don't need to worry about judging others. We each will stand before the judge. We will each give an answer for our life. So here's the things we've got to do. We need to make sure that we are diligently working out our own convictions. And not that they're somebody else's. Uh, Because when you get before God and you were doing things, you know, and you thought they were right, and God says, well, why did you do that? Well, so-and-so told me to. (laughs) Okay, God's not going to be impressed. But if you say, you know, I understood this is what your word said, right? Because he judges the intentions of our heart, right? And he will honor those who honor him through obedience to the word, even if they get it wrong, right? It's like, well, that's not actually what I meant by that passage, but I love your heart to obey and to honor me by doing what you thought was right, right? We'll work on the theology, but I love your heart, right? And that's what we need to do in relationship to each other. Work it out. Live by your convictions. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.